This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. All right, guys, Jonah chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, Jonah is, man, a little bitty book um, in the latter part of the Old Testament. Uh, I highly recommend, unless you're just a great, like, skimmer, uh, you have your Bible, the table of contents, there's no shame in that. No shame at all. So up in the front there, you're going to find your table of contents. It's going to tell you Jonah starts on page 774. Um, that may not be true in your paper Bible, um, but that's where it is in mine. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's always Bibles in the back. We'd love for you to grab one. Uh, I, you know, phones are fine too, tablets, whatever it works. Th- those are fine. I just know for me, and I think it's pretty true of our culture as a whole, we are easily distracted. I mean, just like, and, and okay, here's my tangent. Here's my tangent. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go on a little, little side, side note here. So I was talking to Steph the other day. I was like, I'm really considering a flip phone again. Um, and here's why. I think, I think one day, I think one day, and I think it's going to be in our lifetime, we're going to look at cell phones, and maybe it's just aspects of like the smartphone, and I think we're going to like compare it to the cigarette. Like for the longest time, people smoked cigarettes like it was no big deal, and then we're like, oh my gosh, these things are killing us. And then it like dramatically changed. I, I think that we're going to look at these things one day and go, oh my gosh, they are killing us. Like literally killing us. Um, we'll see. I just know there's a lot of problems that come out of these jokers. Uh, and so that's just my own personal side tangent. Take that for what you want. I still have a smartphone. Like I get it, but I don't know. Okay, that's, n- that's way off, t- off task. Jonah chapter 2. Um, Man, so if this is your first Sunday here ever, welcome. Welcome to Austin Life Church. Uh, we started a little over a year ago, and our purpose, our hope, our dream is to lead people to life in Jesus. Um, if that's not happening, honestly, um, I will be the first to say, hey, here's some great churches in the city to go to. Let's all, let's all take off. Um, it is that important. What's the point if we're not actually finding life in Jesus? That's what the entire Bible is about. And so um, th- that is our, that's our goal. That's our mission. Um, yeah, and so that's, that's what we're doing. If you just happened to miss last Sunday, um, welcome back I- here into Jonah. Uh, let me catch you up from Jonah chapter, uh, chapter 1. If you, if you look here in verse 1 of chapter 2, and then I'm going to recap chapter 1, we see that Jonah is praying to the Lord his God from the belly of a fish, right? That's what, that's what it says. The Lord, the, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And so if you're like, time out, I missed chapter one. Like, is this a literal fish? Or, or perhaps he's like in a boat that's named the fish. You know how boats are named something? And he's like down in the bottom of the boat. So therefore he's in the, bo- the belly of the fish, the boat. But, but no, this is a literal fish that, that Jonah is in the belly of praying. That's where the, that's where the setting is of Jonah chapter two. Like, just, just let that sink in for a second. He is praying this prayer in the belly of a fish. So how in the world did we get there, right? How is Jonah in the belly of a fish? Well, back in the beginning of chapter 1, first words of chapter 1, if you look at it, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. So the the word of God comes to Jonah, and God's like, hey, Jonah, get up and, and go to Nineveh. Like, I want you to go to Nineveh and to preach truth against this, this wicked city. Now, Jonah was a prophet of God. So he, was, he knew God. He was religious. He devoted his life to God. Like, he, he went to church. He prayed. He read the Bible. He tithed. But, but now God's word comes to Jonah, 
and it strikes him at the core of his insecurities, the core of, of himself. And, and, and God's like, hey, go to Nineveh, this wicked and evil city, and tell them the message of forgiveness. Like, go and, and preach the message of forgiveness. The command then, love the Lord. There's nothing else that we are to love more than God. There's no other way that we are to care more about than God's way. There's no other value that we are to value more than God. We are to love the Lord our God above everything. We know the commandment. What's the second commandment? Say it out loud if you know it. Second most important. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Okay, so we know the commandment, right? Love God more than anything else. And then after that, the way that we show we love God is by loving others. If we don't love others, we don't love God. That, that is the connection, is that if we don't love others more than ourselves, then we're, we're not loving God in the way that we're called to love God. We know the commandment. We know the commandments to, to put on humility and to walk into compassion and to put away things of this earth that are ungodly. We know the commandments. The question now for us is the same as it was for Jonah. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the commandments? Like there's some commandments that are really easy, right? But then there's other commandments like I don't really like that one. Like I want to love my neighbor who I like, but I don't want to love my neighbor who's my enemy. Like I don't want to love my neighbor who has actively done harm to me, and yet that's the command of God. What are we going to do with what he tells us to do? Are we going to trust that his ways are good? That he's perfect in all of his ways as we just sang? Or are we going to see some of his ways and go, I th that does not look good. I think that way looks good. I'm going to choose that route. It's that we're in the same position as Jonah. Jonah's command was to go to Nineveh and to preach a message of forgiveness. Nineveh was his neighbor. Nineveh bordered to the north Israel, which was his home. And Nineveh was historically known. This is not even just biblically. You can go read. Like his history says Nineveh was a wicked and evil nation. And they oppressed their neighbors, Israel, in a violent and horrific way. In a way that, that today we would look at in the news and go, oh my gosh, like death penalty. That they don't deserve to be on this planet. Th that was the nature of Nineveh. And God's like, hey Jonah, go to them and preach them, preach them a message of forgiveness. That their sins could be wiped away and they could have a fresh new day with me. And that struck Jonah at his core. It hit him where he was most conflicted with what to do. I, I kind of wonder, and, and I don't know, like this may be reading into it, but I, I kind of wonder if, if Jonah didn't want to go, because Jonah, it says later in chapter 4, he knew the character of God. He knows that God is slow to anger and, forgive, and, and forgiving and compassionate. And, and I think, I kind of wonder, did Jonah not want to go see God give forgiveness because he would then know that he has to follow in the lead of God and also offer forgiveness to a people who have wounded him. That's, that, that is admittedly probably reading into it a little bit. But if we're called to forgive just as God has forgiven, if God forgives them, then that means Jonah would have to forgive them. And I, I just wonder if that started hitting a little too close to home. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I know that we're called to forgive as God has. So that's the message. So what did Jonah do? God said, go to Nineveh. And so Jonah got up and he went the opposite direction. Nineveh is this way. Tarshish is that way. And Jonah said, thanks but no thanks God. I'm going to go down to Joppa, 
get down into a boat and sail my way to Tarshish. He, he disobeys the word of God. And, and it says in chapter 1 that fleeing more, from, not so much fleeing from Nineveh, he was fleeing from the presence of God. Like that he was fleeing from the presence of God because you can't, you can't be in the presence of God while actively disobeying. Like th- that's putting something in between us and our relationship with God. Right, if I'm going, if I sin against Brandon, then there is a, there's something in between our relationship. And until that is removed, there's something in between our relationship, right? We all know that if we sin against someone, that sin has to be removed so that reconciliation can occur. So I can't have a thriving relationship with, with Eric if I'm sinning against him. That's got to be resolved. And so Jonah is not just fleeing from Nineveh, he is fleeing from the presence of God, from the relationship of God, from what God tells him to do. And here's the problem. The Bible says from the very beginning to the very end that the fullness of life is in the presence of God. That the fullness of joy, that abundant life is known in the presence of God. So when Adam and Eve sinned and they were sent away from God's presence, the greatest weight was not that they weren't in Eden anymore. They weren't in the presence of God. That was the greatest punishment to their sin. They were separated from God. And so Jonah, in knowing what God said to do and doing the opposite, is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And that is the worst possible place for Jonah to be. But God's not just going to let his boy ruin his life. And so God, it says in verse 4 of chapter 1, throws a storm onto that ship. Like God interjects and intervenes and chases after Jonah because the theme of Jonah is that God is compassionate and pursues those in love who are running from him. That the compassion of God pursues a people who are actively disobeying him. That is is mind-blowing to me that that God would pursue me in love knowing that I would actively be offending him. The offender pursuing, no, no, the offended pursuing the offender. Like that, that, doesn't, that doesn't happen, right? And yet that is the love of God. That's the steadfast, compassionate love of God. And so God throws this storm on the boat. The sailors are panicking. They're like, what do we do? How do we destroy this? And finally, Jonah says, it's my fault. We're in this mess because I've run from the presence of God. Like, I've, God's chasing me. I know this. It's my fault. Throw me overboard and the storm will stop. And they did. They threw him overboard and it says that the storm ceased. When Jonah stopped running from God, the storm ceased. There's a lot of storms in our lives and, and sometimes, I, don't, I can't say for every time, sometimes though, the, the storm will cease when we stop running. When, when we stop running from the presence of the Lord. And so, look, I, I, I can't, our, our circumstances are probably not going to be the same as Jonah's. I'm going to predict that none of us are going to be swallowed alive by a fish. Um, just a guess. I, I'm guessing we aren't, like, really sailors anymore. We'll just hop in our car and drive. Um, so probably different circumstances. But what I can say is that as long as we are running and hiding from the presence of the Lord, we will keep ourselves out of the abundant life that Christ came to bring us. As long as we're running and hiding, we are choosing to step outside of his peace and his love and his protection and his joy. The same as Jonah. Circumstances may look different, 
There may not be a storm on the boat, but there's going to be a storm in our soul, right? Like we may not get swallowed by a fish, but we're going to get swallowed up by guilt or by grief or by fear or both, right? So we're going to keep ourselves outside of his presence. We've got to stop running and hiding. And so Jonah gets thrown overboard, and then the Lord appoints a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And that's how chapter one ends. And then we get to chapter two. We get to chapter two, and it says that, that here in the belly of the fish, Jonah prays to the Lord his God. He prays to the Lord his God. So let's read chapter two. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. That's a summary of of the prayer, right? For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Come on, you can, you can see this picture, right? There is, a, there is a man in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and there's a massive storm that was threatening to sink an entire ship. So, so Jonah's like, I'm in the middle of this, and the flood is surrounding me. The waves are passing over me. Like, do you see this picture? You see this per Okay. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. Can you see him sinking? Seaweed is wrapping around him. He's literally sinking to the base of the Mediterranean Sea. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. That, that's the imagery of Sheol. Sheol is the, the, the place of death. The, the, it's the doorstep of death, right? It's that place right before you enter. And, and it was often in, histor- in, in, the, the, um, in, in the, gosh, why can't I, historical culture, I'm thinking of another word, but it's not coming, is that Sheol was thought to, a place that you enter through iron bars. And so Jonah's just saying, like, I am on death's doorstep. Like, he knows his life is fading away, and it is almost done. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. This verse is key, and we'll come back to it. So I want to read it again. Those who pay regard to vain idols give up their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's a prayer of thanksgiving in the belly of the fish. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. A couple things that I just, when I read this initially, one of the first things I see is is that this is the Lord's doing. Like, he is behind all of these happenings, right? So verse verse 4 of chapter 1, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. Right, so the Lord causes this storm to come down, verse 17 of chapter 1, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And then chapter, or verse 3 of chapter 2, Jonah saying, for you, God, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. 
Here's what Jonah knows is that the earth and everything in it is the Lord's. That God created the Mediterranean Sea that he is sinking in. That, that God created this great fish that swallows him up. That it's the Lord's controlling and determining. Jonah knows that there was this time when, when Israel came face to face with a body of water. And God was like, hey, I can control water. Let me go ahead and split it so that Israel can walk on dry land. Right? So Jonah knows, man, if God wanted to, he could just take all of this water and just kind of move it off to the side. And I can just casually walk on back to where I was supposed to go. Jonah knows that God is able to do that. Jonah knows that it's God who directs the animals and who controls all things, right? And so Jonah knows that God is behind all of this. And I think it could be easy to look at it, and this is how I thought of Jonah, right? That, that Jonah's being punished. There's a storm and there's a fish, and it's the punishment of God against Jonah for his sin. But what God started to show me not long ago was that this is actually not God's punishment for his sin. This is God's means of grace to bring him back from his sin. That's a huge shift in how we see things in life. If we look at the hard things in life and we're like, man, this is God punishing me for my sin, then, then we're going to look at God as a punisher, we're going to look at God who's quick to anger, who, who's, who's wrathful and who just wants to terrorize us. But if we look at these things and say, this is the mercy of God to bring me back from my sin, then it changes how we see things and it changes mostly how we see God. We see this theme throughout the Bible. It's a tough one to grasp, right? It's a tough thing to wrestle with. If you've read Genesis, then, then you know the story of Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers are like, hey, let's kill him. And one of them was like, no, no, that's too much. Let's just sell him into slavery. And so he gets sold into slavery, and he's taken from his home to be a slave in Egypt. And it's there that he rises up to, to rank. And he's doing good things until he's falsely accused of, of rape. And so he gets thrown into jail. And in prison now, you know, Jonah's done, I mean, Joseph hasn't done anything wrong. In prison, he meets some, some, the, the cupbearer and the food taster of Pharaoh. And he, he you know, strikes up a relationship with them. He does good things. And, and then they get released, and he's like, hey, remember to tell Pharaoh when you get released about me that I can interpret dreams. Well, they forget. And so a couple more years pass until finally they're like, oh, hey, there's a dream Pharaoh has. I know a guy who can interpret this. Bring him out of jail, right? And so years have passed for Joseph at this point, from the time he was sold into slavery to now he's being brought out of prison to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He interprets Pharaoh's dream and Pharaoh rises him to the rank of second in command, giving him charge over all of Egypt, which was a good thing because a famine was coming in which massive amounts of people would die, including his family and all of Israel, unless they came to him to get food from Egypt. And, and so in this, Joseph's brothers come to Joseph to get food. And Joseph offers forgiveness to them. Because he's come to learn that what they meant for evil, God meant for good. That if it wasn't for this terrible path, then the good wouldn't have come. And so Joseph was in the right place, but it had to go through that hardship to be in that place of abundance. We see it with Paul. Man, this one baffles me, right? That it says in 2 Corinthians, a thorn was given in the side of Paul to, to keep him humble. It also says it was simultaneously a messenger of Satan sent to harass him. So there's this thorn given to Paul that is a messenger of Satan sent to harass him and simultaneously the mercy of God to keep him humble. Right? Like those two coexist. 
We see it in Jesus. Isaiah 53 says it was the will of the Father to crush him. It was the will of the Father for Jesus to suffer. On the outside looking in, you're like, that does not make any sense. But it's on the other side of it that we seem to see the greatest good come through the greatest evil. And so time and time again, God allows and sometimes appoints hardship so that he can bring us to a greater place of abundance through it. There are places of abundance that it's only through the fire that we will ever know. And so we've got to see that God is in control and we've got to trust that he's good. You know, I will be the first to raise my hand that that has been really hard for me at times. When the pain is deep and, and you can't seem to make sense of it and you're trying to, it just feels impossible to move forward. It's really difficult sometimes to trust that God is good and that he is working good through the bad. And that's why we have to go back to this. We have to drill into our minds and our hearts and our souls this foundation that the Lord is good and he is perfect in all of his ways, even when those ways make no sense to us. You with me? Because the day will come when we're in the belly of a fish and it makes no sense. And we've got to know that he's good. We've got to trust that he's good. And so Jonah, he sees that it's the Lord behind all of this. He sees that the severe mercy of God, right? One, one author wrote it that way. It's the severe mercy of God to bring him back. He sees that. And it was in this place, or it was in this place of, of the depths of himself when he finally hit bottom, when he was finally stripped of all of his prideful self-sufficiency, it was in that place only that he looked up to God and called out. We, we have to come to the end of ourselves in order for God to be all. Jonah had to come to the end of himself. He had to hit the bottom. He had to hit the end in order for God to be all. That's what happened, right? We see this, that, it, that he is calling out to the Lord out of his distress, that he's cast into the deep, that he's sinking down to the bottom. Verse 7, right? When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, that there has to come the point when everything else is stripped away, when, when we have nothing else that we go, he is everything. When, when we are removed of our own self-sufficiency, Lord God, please, we live in such a self-sufficient culture. Like, like, hey God, you handle this part and I'll handle this part. Right, like you do this and then I'll do that and then together God will make the best team. Like you, you'll be 1A, I'll be 1B, boom, we got it. But now we're trying to stand on par with God. We're trying to call the shots. That's what idolatry is. That's what pride is, is contending for the supremacy of God. We don't want to call it that. Right? We don't want to say, like, hey, I'm trying to be God here. But that's what we're doing. God says, go this way. No, no, God, I got this one. You go ahead and take it off. I'm going to go this way. Like, we're contending for his position. And it is only until we hit bottom. It is only until our self is fully removed. That's why this humility study we did before this was so important. Because we cannot know the fullness of God while also trying to hold tightly to ourselves. Either he is all or, or, or we are trying to be all. Like there's, there's really no option here. 
Jonah, he, he, man, he hits bottom and he finally looks up and remembers the Lord and calls out. No matter where you are today, look to God. Now, Jonah could have looked to God in Joppa. He didn't actually have to get on the boat. Like, I got to wonder, man, what, what would have happened if he would have just looked to God then? This whole, like, ship, you know, people losing cargo and the ship may, maybe sinking and getting swallowed by a fish, I'm guessing that wouldn't happen. He could have at any point. He knew what the word of God was. But he, in his stubborn pridefulness, he got on the boat and then it, it got worse and worse and worse until finally he hits bottom and he goes, oh my gosh, I've got, I can't do this. I've got nothing on my own. And he looks up to God. So I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you're like walking down to Joppa. You know what you're supposed to do, but you're like, I don't know. And you're just, it, look to God. Stop. Turn around. Look to God. Maybe you've already gotten on a boat and it's starting to get a little rough. Stop before and look to God before you get swallowed by a fish. Maybe you've been swallowed by a fish. Maybe you've hit bottom. Look to God. It is never the wrong time to do the right thing. I think sometimes we think like I'm too, I'm, I've gone too far at this point. No. Stop. Stop running. Turn and look to God. Let go of yourself. Let go of your own strength. Let go of your own wisdom. Trust in the Lord. Don't justify a reason to delay. He's going to pursue you because he's that loving. But Romans, Paul says, oh man, should I, should I go on sinning so that grace may abound? Like if I, if I make a bigger mess, does it just make God look all that much better as he cleans up my mess? And Paul's like, no. Like you don't, you don't get it if that's your thought. You don't understand the love and the grace of God. It hasn't changed you if your thought is, oh, I should do more bad so that he looks better. So wherever you are, turn and look to God. Remove yourself from the equation and say, okay, this is what he says. I'm going to obey and trust that it's good. Turn and look. And so Jonah, he calls out to God, right? Like he hits the bottom and he calls out and the Lord responds. I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. The waves are crashing over his head and he calls out and the Lord answers. He's sinking to the bottom. He's broken. He has nothing. And he calls out in his prayer. It comes to the Lord. It enters into the holy place. I, it just, I think, it baffles me that God is personal. Like, the, I don't know how many, how many billion people are there now? Eight? Something like that? Ish? Ballpark? And yet God is, is personally involved and cares with everyone. Like, that God sees me and knows, like, I just, if I'm being honest, I just sometimes think that, like, God is here doing his thing, but, like, I, I have to just take care of everything here. Like, God's over there taking care of the big stuff, but, like, I've just got to take care of my own stuff. And yet God, that's not, that's not how God works. Like, he hears my prayers. He hears your prayers. He sees. He knows. He cares. That's an, that's an incredible thought. 
And now here's what, here's what baffles me in this, right? Like Jonah, is, this is a prayer in verse 9, right? With the voice of thanksgiving. Like this is a prayer of thanksgiving. That, that God has delivered Jonah. God has rescued him. Why, how, does the, how does it end in verse 9? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah is praying and he's saying, I'm saved. Like I'm delivered. I'm rescued. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let me ask again, where is Jonah praying this prayer from? It's okay, you can say it. The belly of the fish. He is praying this prayer of salvation from the belly of the fish. We have no reason to believe that Jonah's like, don't worry, this fish is going to vomit me out in in a couple days. So yeah, he was drowning and thought his life would be dead. He prays God sends deliverance in the form of a fish. But you got to think, Jonah's like, okay, my death is just prolonged a little bit. Like, no one is in the belly of a fish thinking, this is going to end well for me. Right? Are you with me? And yet, that is where Jonah is like, praise God, I've been saved and rescued. So what in the world is Jonah praising God for? What is his salvation if he is still in the belly of the fish? It's that he's been restored to the presence of God. That is his salvation. In the belly of the fish, Jonah is thanking God because the obstacle that has separated him from God's presence has been removed, and now he's been restored into the presence and fellowship of God. And that is better than life itself. Jonah's prayer of thanksgiving and deliverance is that God has sent a fish to give him a little more time to lay down his idols so that he can be restored to the steadfast love of God. And it's not that God stopped loving him, it's that Jonah walked away. It's not that God didn't see him or care, it's that Jonah stepped outside of his provision and now in this moment he has laid down his idols and he has been restored into the presence of God, back, reconciled back into good fellowship. And that is the deliverance that he is praying for. More incredible than, than Jonah being vomited out of a fish, more incredible than a fish coming to, to rescue him, is that Jonah has confessed his sins and they've been removed and now his reconciliation with God has been made complete. That is more incredible and more worthy of thanksgiving than even life itself. And that is what Jonah is praising. I said this verse eight is key. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. An idol was, in Jonah chapter 2, and still is right here today, anything that we choose to value more than God. Anything. An idol was literally a wooden object that people would worship and go to as their hope. An idol was a, a different God that they would bow down to and trust that this God would, would send answers. And it was, it was what they valued more. An idol is sex. An idol is money. An idol is love. An idol is career. An idol is religion. An idol is my way, my wisdom, my preference. Anything that I value over God and his way is an idol. So if God says do this and I do that, then I am worshiping something else. And that is an idol. And 
And Jonah says he finally sees that anyone who pays regard, anyone who looks to, anyone who hopes in anything other than God is forsaking their hope, is separating themselves from the steadfast love and the presence of God. And that is the crux of Jonah. That is the key theme and, and message of the, of, of the gospel and of the book of Jonah is stop turning and looking and trusting in other things because all you're doing is walking away from the perfect steadfast love of God. And again, it's not that, it's not that Jonah lost his salvation. I mean, he says here, right, in verse, um, in verse 4, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Like, Jonah believes that when he dies, he's going to be with God. It's not that he lost the love of God or the favor of God, that God didn't love him. It's that he chose to worship his own way and thus stepped outside of the love of God. Does that make sense? It is not God's doing. It is not God giving up on Jonah. It's Jonah walking away from God. And that's what we do time and time again. We know the word of God. And when we don't do it, we're stepping outside of his love and his presence, just like Jonah. And the command was tough, right? The command was hard. But Jonah trusted in his way more than God's way. Jonah knew salvation belongs to the Lord. This is all the Lord's doing. Everything is in him. My hope for us today is that we will know the salvation of the Lord. And, and that means the, the salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, that we will be brought into a relationship with God, that we will be made new. And then for the rest of our lives, for every time we step outside of his steadfast love, every time we choose to go our own way, that we would look up, we would know our place, and we would know that salvation is in the Lord. And we would step back into his presence. We would repent from our sins and return to him. So, so how, do we, how do we do this today, right? How do we get to the place where we could be in the belly of a fish thinking that death is surely coming soon or even maybe hoping that death is surely coming soon, yet we're worshiping and thanking God and saying salvation belongs to the Lord, right? Like how do we get there? I mean, I think we see with, with Jonah a few things. One, he knew his place, like he came to the end of himself. He knew that he was helpless on his own. He, he, he literally could not swim his way out of this mess. Right? Isn't that so much what we think we can do? Like, okay, I made this mess, but I can clean it up. Like, I can fix this. I can, I can you know, adjust this or tweak that or, or handle this, and then I'm going to clean up this mess. And until we get to the place where we go, I can't do anything. The Lord has to step in here and do something then we'll continue to try to operate in our own strength. And all that is saying is, hey, God, I got this. I don't need you. It's idolatry. We have to come to the end of ourselves where we say, I can't do this. I'm not capable on my own to clean myself up. Until we recognize our deep need for grace, we will never turn to and worship the grace that God gives and here's the frustrating thing. Like here's the, the, the hard reality of this. For me at least, 
I can't do that. Like, I can't stand up here and preach the best sermon ever and, like, expound everything perfectly. And and that's what's going to open our eyes to our need for grace. And so part of me is like, well, what am I even doing? God has to do that. God has to bring us to a place of brokenness. And sometimes that's going to be through his severe mercy of throwing a storm on our lives. And I pray that we will not be so prideful and rebellious that when God is chasing us in such a passionate and severe way that we will stand firm in our pride and rebellion and say, God, I see you chasing, but I'm not going to do it. God, I pray that he will break us of our self-sufficiency. I pray that we will love him more than we love ourselves. That we will want to follow him more than we want to follow our own ways. Even when it says, hey, that is going to be a tough path. We will trust that it is good and better than our own. Jonah got to that place where he finally realized, I cannot do this. Going to Tarshish is not good. I I can't. I've I've got to look to God. And that's the second thing he did was he turned to God. He laid down his vain idols. He stopped trusting in himself. He stopped leaning in his own wisdom and he instead leaned into the wisdom of God. He stopped trusting in his own way. He trusts the way of God. Look, it's one thing to know that we're unable to do it. It's one thing to stop running and to say, okay, I realize this isn't working. And it's another thing to actually let go and turn to God. I think sometimes we get to the end of ourselves, but we're just so dadgum stubborn that we don't want to actually let go and trust that his way is better. Jonah, he, he got to the end of himself, and he could have just drowned there, but instead he looked up to the Lord, and he called out for help. God, I, I can't do it. I'm convinced, I mean, everything says Jonah thought he was going to die, but But I think the mindset of Jonah was, well, if I'm going down, I'm going down looking at him. Like, if this is going to be the last thing I do, the last thing I do is going to be turning and looking at him. And so we've got to stop trusting in our own strength, and we've got to let go and turn to his way no matter what. And then we've got to know that salvation belongs to the Lord. We've got to know that he is the one who saves. We've got to fully trust that rescue comes from him. Jonah believed that God was his rescuer. And that the greatest rescue was that the obstacle in between their relationship would be removed so that he can be restored to a relationship with God. And it is only God who forgives that sin and removes it because he was the one sinned against. So Jonah can do his part and repent and let go, but then God has to forgive that offense so that reconciliation can occur. That is why salvation belongs to the Lord, because if he doesn't forgive, then Jonah doesn't have a relationship with him. Does that make sense? If God doesn't forgive Jonah's sins, then Jonah's not actually reconciled to God. So salvation is the Lord's, and Jonah has to trust that God will actually forgive his sins. And then for you and I, we can stop running, we can turn, 
But we've got to trust that God forgives our sins through the work of Jesus Christ. Jonah was, was, had to trust that God would forgive his sins, and we've got to trust that God will forgive our sins. On the cross, it says that Jesus took the full weight of our sins. Every record of our debt against God, every single wrong action, wrong word, wrong motive, every single thing that was in opposition to God, Jesus took that for us. And he took our record of sins so that our sins could be justly paid for on Christ. Jonah deserved death. He deserved it. We deserve it. Jesus died for us. And we've got to trust that Christ does that. And then just like Jonah was in the belly of a fish, I don't think it's by accident, for three days and three nights, and then he walked out of that tomb of a fish with a message of salvation. If Jesus is still in the tomb, there is no message of salvation. But Jesus, three days later, walked out of the tomb of death, bringing a message of salvation and life for anyone who would hear and repent, just like Nineveh gets a chance. And so we've got to turn and look to Jesus and that God has already made the full possible way for us to be forgiven. We've got to receive that gift. And that is how we are restored to the presence of God is when we repent of our own ways and trust that Christ has already done everything that we need to bring reconciliation, to restore us back into the presence of the Lord. I love that Jonah didn't have to get back to his hometown. Jonah didn't have to get back to Nineveh. Like, like God met Jonah in the belly of a fish. So I don't know what you're sitting in today, but that tells me no matter where you are, God will meet you there. God will meet you there. When we lay down our own ways, when we forsake the, the vain idols and instead turn, the hope of the Lord is there. The hope of his steadfast love is already there. Gosh, we've just got to get over ourselves and trust him. And I'll, I got to lead the way in that, man. I got, my, I got to get over myself and trust the Lord and his ways are good. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's all his and it's offered to us. May we be recipients thankful recipients of his grace and love. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.